Hey, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to Hosea chapter 4. If you have a smartphone or other app, I think the Wi-Fi is on, and you can look for an event in the YouVersion Bible app and click the Kerbinsville Alliance one um, and uh, follow along that way. If you're thinking, Hosea, I don't know where that is, and you happen to have grabbed one of the Bible off the rack near you in a, in a seat near you, uh, you're going to find Hosea 4 in that book on page 891, 891. Hosea 4 is where we're going to be, okay? So have you seen the uh, AT&T wireless commercial where the guy's getting the tattoo? Have you seen that? I love that commercial, right? The guy, he's uh, getting the tattoo and he's a little apprehensive. He's sitting in a chair and, and the tattoo artist says, first tattoo? And he said, yeah, yeah. Relax, amigo. It's going to look okay. <laughs> and the guy says, only okay? No worries, boss. I'm one of the tattoo artists in the city. You mean one of the best tattoo artists in the city, right? <laughs> it's something like that. And then you see the slogan on the screen before you, just okay is not okay. I love that commercial. It reminds me of the old Holiday Inn Express commercials of a decade or so ago. Are you old enough to remember those where, you know, they'd be doing surgery in the operating room, scalpel, clamp, suction, you know, and then at the end, the guy pulls down his surgical mask, the surgeon, and the nurse looks at him and says, you're not Dr. Stewart. And he says, no, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. You know, I got the knowledge. I, I got what I need. I know what I'm doing here. Those are kind of examples of people who maybe don't have genuine knowledge. They maybe have counterfeit knowledge. Uh, in the case of the tattoo, it's maybe an artistic thing, but you get the point. We have been talking over the past several weeks about counterfeits. We've been talking about counterfeit faith, counterfeit wisdom, counterfeit authority. And today, we're going to talk about counterfeit knowledge in the area of your Christian faith. And I want to begin by saying to you, I'm not talking about limited knowledge. You understand? I'm not talking about, well, you know, John, how old are you, John? Eight years old. So John has knowledge, maybe more biblical knowledge than some of us, right? But at eight years, he probably doesn't have the same knowledge that maybe someone who's been in church for several decades might have. So I'm not talking about limited knowledge. Limited knowledge is due to limited exposure to the truth. Counterfeit knowledge kind of ramps it up to a whole different level. You may have limited exposure or you may have advanced degrees in theology, but you can still have counterfeit knowledge because it's not a matter of necessarily what you know, but it's often a matter of your heart and what's going on in your heart. Now, I want to begin this morning by giving you some examples of places you see counterfeit knowledge. I have permission from Praton to share this story. Praton was with us at our men's group on Thursday evening. And uh, did you get enough to eat? We'll talk about that later. Okay, yeah. Praton told this story. He's at the University of Pittsburgh, and he said, I, sitting around in the dorms, they were talking about God, religion, faith, Christianity. And one of, the, one of, one of his peers said, I think if Jesus were here today, Jesus would be a communist, he said. Now, yeah, somebody just said, wow, right? Now, the, the interesting part of that story to me was the other student. So the first student, he says, I think if Jesus were here today, he'd be a communist. That's his knowledge. He's spouting it out there. And another student says, yeah, that's what I think. That's what I think, what he said. Now, first of all, let me say, I do understand that perspective. I've read Claiborne. I, I doubt it. I, I doubt that that kid read him. But I understand that perspective. I don't agree with uh, that statement at all, that Jesus would be a counterfeiter. A counterfeiter. Well, a communist. He'd be neither of the above, right? Yeah. yeah. 
Second, um, let me say that it's likely that neither of those students thought through their perspective. In fact, the second student thought about it for about five seconds, maybe three. And he made a decision based on that. They're probably not speaking about, speaking as ones who are knowledgeable about communism or knowledgeable about Jesus. Because if you understand communism, and if you understand the history of Israel, for example, God's chosen people, and if you understand Jesus, and if you understand the history of the past century, you know that's just absurd. And what it is, is counterfeit knowledge. I want to talk to you about how counterfeit knowledge often shows up. Often, counterfeit knowledge is based in our feelings. I kind of feel like that would be the case. My feelings tell me what to know and what I know and what I don't know. Here's a place that I see this all the time. I'm a pastor, so I'm often talking to people about their health and, you know, they're having this surgery, they're having that surgery. And you've probably heard these conversations as well when someone will say, I have to have this surgery. And they told me to go to that doctor, but I met him once and I can't stand him. He has terrible, terrible bedside manner. They say that he is the best surgeon to do this job but I am not going to go to him because I'm going to go to somebody that at least knows how to treat a person with respect. That's an emotional decision. You can make that decision. But as for me, I really don't care about his bedside manner. I just need him to use his scalpel correctly on me. We make decisions based on feelings sometimes. Maybe a little, more, little less dramatic or more, depending on your finances, is that time you made an emotional decision regarding a car. Did you ever do that? I really need this car, or I need these shoes. Emotional decisions not made with knowledge. Now, this is a sad one. This is a sad one. One time I talked to a woman who said that she married her husband after knowing him for just a couple weeks. That's not good knowledge. That's not wise knowledge. She thought she knew what she was doing, but today she says, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know who he was. And the knowledge I had of him was counterfeit knowledge. And half a century later, she still regrets it. Counterfeit knowledge. It's often based on our feelings. Second, sometimes counterfeit knowledge is based on what I'm going to call a cursory reading. Do you know what I mean by that? Like it's just a a casual reading, a glance. It's, It's what I do when I look at the news. You know, I open up my news app and I'm just flipping through and I'm reading the headlines. And then I find myself in this conversation where I say, did you see what happened in Crimea? And someone's like, yeah, I saw that. What's the big deal? Well, that's just awful. Well, no, it's not. It was a, what happened in Crimea this time was a good thing, Pastor Steve. I'm like, no, well, and what happened is I just glanced at it. I didn't read the article. And I don't know if you know this about headlines or not, but they're clickbait. They're just trying to get you to read, right? And so you can have counterfeit knowledge about current events by not looking into it closely. And people do this with the Bible all the time. All the time. Slaves, obey your masters. Wow, that is counterfeit knowledge right there. And it comes from someone who just read that part of the Bible and said, I kind of like that, I'm going to keep that. And it's downright evil. The Bible says, do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, A worker who does not need to be ashamed, and here's the phrase I want you to hear, correctly handling the word of truth. In other words, when you look at the Bible, you're handling it correctly, not casually, not with a cursory kind of a glance. 
And by the way, that doesn't mean you need to be a scholar. That's not what I'm saying at all. But it does indicate you need to approach the Bible with a heart that wants to learn what it is saying. I have a close friend from my childhood. I'll call him uh, Willis. How about that? <laughs> That's my go-to name. Most of Willis's current friends, he's an adult now, he's my age, a little older. Most of his current friends never went to church. I mean, maybe once or twice, but they're just not church people. And so whenever Willis talks about something in the Bible, they're amazed at his biblical knowledge. Wow, Willis really knows the Bible. And occasionally we'll be together and they know I'm Willis, I'm a friend of Willis and, and they know I'm a pastor and they'll say, you know, Willis really knows the Bible. And I'll say, really? Why do you say that? And then they'll tell me what Willis said about the Bible. And I'm like, that's not even in the Bible. <laughs> well, what are you talking about here? And here's the problem. <laughs> Willis grew up in a Christian home. And Willis read a little bit of the Bible when he was growing up. And Willis went to Sunday school and chased all the pretty girls all the way from kindergarten through 12th grade. And Willis, when he was about 16 years old, sitting in the back of church, talking to his buddy, Willis said, I'm not coming back. And so about that age, Willis just quit church. So when Willis shares his knowledge about the Bible, sometimes he's right, and that's genuine knowledge, and sometimes he is way wrong, and that's counterfeit knowledge, and that happens because Willis's knowledge is based upon a cursory reading of the Bible. It's very casual. It wasn't detailed at all. Counterfeit knowledge comes from a cursory reading of the Bible. Third, sometimes counterfeit knowledge comes from personal opinion. I read this, this statement the other day. Listen to this. Opinion is really the lowest form of human knowledge. It requires no accountability and no understanding. That's true. Your opinion doesn't require any research at all. It doesn't require any intellect at all. It doesn't require any familiarity with knowledge at all. Often our opinions are just uninformed based on ignorance of the fact. We state them as though they're genuine knowledge, but they're not. Let me share with you some opinions that I've heard that are, from a biblical perspective, counterfeit knowledge. Maybe you've heard them too. I don't think a loving God could ever let anyone go to hell. Well, that's an opinion. <laughs> but it's not biblical. In fact, from a biblical perspective, that's counterfeit knowledge. Here's another one. I think that as long as two people love one another, then God's good with that. Well, that's an opinion but it's not biblical. And from a biblical perspective, it's counterfeit knowledge. How about another one? I think all religions teach the same thing. Well, that's an opinion, but it's not biblical. By the way, it's not even logical. Right? And from a biblical perspective, that is counterfeit knowledge. And this alerts us to the need for genuine knowledge. Now, you're probably, if you've been around church a while, you're probably familiar with Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. It says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And that's God speaking. And so what he's saying is, my people need knowledge. They need to know what I'm about and how they're to behave. But let's look at it in context and really get the full force of this. It's heavy stuff. Starting in verse 1, hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. In other words, this is not going to be happy times. Now listen to what God says in the middle of verse 1. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing. 
lying and murder, stealing and adultery. Wow, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sadly. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. Beasts of the field, the birds of the air, sky, the fish in the sea are all swept away. But let no one bring a charge. Let no one accuse another for your people are like those who bring charges against the priest. Let me pause there and tell you what he's saying there in verse 4. God's saying, don't try to blame someone else. Don't try to say, well, the priest didn't teach me right. I wasn't being fed. Well, those guys, you know, they they led me down this path. He's saying, don't even think about trying that in verse 4. Verse 5. You stumble day and night, and the prophets stumble with you. I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because they have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I will also, I also will ignore your children. Wow, that's heavy stuff, isn't it? Didn't come here to hear that passage, Pastor Steve. I get it, I know. It's heavy. But it tells us, it's worth reading, because it tells us that without knowledge, destruction is the path we're on. And human beings desperately need genuine knowledge. We need knowledge of what it is that God wants to say to us. We need awareness of the teachings of Scripture. When I do premarital counseling, I always talk to the couple about sexuality. And I love watching their responses as we open the Bible and read together what the Bible says about sex. Often, their eyes, especially if they haven't been in church, often their eyes get really big. And and I'll look at them and I'll pause and I'll say, you didn't know the Bible said this, did you? And they'll say, no. And I love showing them that because it, it is a testimony to them that the Bible is incredibly relevant to your life and you should know what God has to say through his word. In our day and age, you probably ought to know what the Bible says about abortion, not what someone's opinion is. You probably ought to know what the Bible says about love, about homosexuality, about hatred, about civility, about the alien. You probably ought to know those things in our day and age. And the Bible addresses all of those things. And if you want to know some counterfeit information on those things, just peruse any media, whether it's CNN or Fox or Facebook or Twitter. I don't care. Because it's based on opinions, it's based on feelings, it's based on a cursory reading of Scripture. It's counterfeit knowledge. We want a genuine knowledge of what God has to say. A knowledge that actually teaches us how to live. I would be, I would be in error and not doing my full job if I didn't say to you that it's not enough just to know the information. The information should affect how you live your life. Have you seen people who know the Bible very well, but live seemingly without much regard for it? Like the guy maybe who knows the story of the man who came to Jesus in Matthew 22 and said, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in all the law? And Jesus doesn't just give him one. He gives him two commandments. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And hold on, don't leave yet, Jesus says. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. 
when you look at that life, though, of that gentleman who knows it here, but doesn't live it there, do you think, what's, where's the disconnect? That hypocrisy indicates that their knowledge of Scripture is a counterfeit. Phony. Fake. We don't want that. We want genuine knowledge. So I want to talk to you about three essentials in genuine knowledge. What must knowledge have? How must knowledge be characterized in order for it to qualify as genuine? Let me ask that question again because I want you to be thinking about it. What must knowledge have? How must knowledge be characterized if it is going to be considered genuine knowledge? And first, let's just affirm that knowledge begins with respect for God. Genuine knowledge begins with respect for God. You only need to be about three sentences into the book of wisdom in the Bible, which is a book of Proverbs, the wisdom literature. You know, it's 31 chapters. You only need to be about three sentences into it when you find that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In Scripture, fearing him means respecting him. And if you respect your maker, then you will recognize what he has to say is real, genuine knowledge. But if you don't have respect for your maker, you'll have no genuine knowledge, and you might as well give it up right now. Respecting God means receiving his teaching, what he has to say in his word. And by the way, that's a choice. We have a number of school teachers here, and they can all tell you there's kind of two kinds of students that show up every, every day, or at the beginning of the semester, you can see them. There's a kind of who says, I respect the fact that you have information that I don't have, and I'm ready to get that. Give it to me. And then there's the other one who says, you don't have anything to show me, man. I don't even care. I don't even care if you're here. Guess which one you need to be? And it's a choice. So you choose, if you have wisdom, to say, I want to hear from the teacher. I will not close my mind. And you choose to receive knowledge from God by saying, I want to hear what you have to say, God, without closing your heart. I want to know, God, what do you have to say to me? And that choice is up to you. And it can be a difficult one because you might have to let go of some opinions and some things you've always believed because of your cursory look at the Scripture and and even some things that feel good to you. You might have to let go of them if you're going to respect the one who gives you this teaching, God himself. If you want genuine knowledge, it starts with having respect for God and what he has to say. And when you decide to give your honest attention to what God has to say, knowledge actually commences with rebirth, with regeneration. I seldom, I am not the kind of guy that gives scripture verses to people who make no profession of faith. Before I was in ministry, when I worked at the bank, when I worked for PennDOT, when I worked at the brick factory, when I worked at the charcoal factory, there were always those guys that were like, well, the Bible says this, and they're saying it to guys who have no acknowledgement of Christ as their Savior. I was never that guy. I'm not that guy today. Because I found that it's almost like a Super Bowl. You can throw that scripture at them, but if they are not born again, it bounces right off of them. Does that happen with your spouse who's not born again? Does it happen with your children if they're not born again? Does it happen with your neighbor, your parent? Do you notice how when you throw a Bible verse at them, that doesn't work. It bounces off them. The Bible hints at this when it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Okay. So scripture means something to you and me. It doesn't mean as much to other people 
what is the difference? The difference is you're born again and you've received Christ as your Savior. If you want genuine knowledge, you have to be made new by Christ. No one can see, Jesus says, the kingdom of God unless they're born again. No one can gain authentic knowledge unless they have turned their heart to Christ and said, I know I've sinned. I believe you died on the cross for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God in heaven, please forgive me. I trust in Jesus' death on my behalf. I turn away from my sin. I will follow you with all my heart. And when you experience, when you have that encounter with God, something happens inside you that suddenly those Bible verses that someone might have thrown at you make sense. And they have meaning to you in a way that they never did before. And the reason for this is because when you open your heart to Christ, his spirit comes and dwells within you. and shows you things that you couldn't see before, that you couldn't understand before. He's bound to open your heart and bound to open your mind. Genuine knowledge commences at a different rate when you are in Christ. And third, the third essential in knowledge is a continual commitment to discipleship. One of the things, <laughs> I remember the first time I said this, I had just been struck with it. I was a brand new pastor. I'd been preaching for several months in a small church to a small congregation. And I'd gotten awareness that the only exposure some of those individuals had to any teaching from God was what I gave them in 25 or 30 minutes on Sunday morning. Wow, that is sobering for a preacher, buddy. It ought to be sobering for them. It should be sobering for all of us. Because discipleship can't come to you 30 minutes a week. It can't. I'm sorry. I wish it could. Maybe if you had a better preacher? Nope. <laughs> nope, it wouldn't matter. But fortunately, and by the sovereign work of God, you were born at a time when discipleship is available for you like it has never been available to any other generation. You should say, woohoo, yeah. Let me tell you where you can get discipleship. You can get it all over the place. Podcasts are great sources of discipleship because for the first time, you can listen to Chuck Swindoll on your schedule. You don't have to tune into the radio when he's on that day or whoever it is that feeds your soul. They're available right there on your smartphone or your other device or your computer and you can be discipled right there. Now, podcasts can be dangerous because there's a lot of counterfeit knowledge out there. So if you wonder, speak to an elder in our church. Speak to me. I'd be glad to look at it and say, Neh. and if I make that sound, Neh, that means I don't know how to tell you this, but that's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Okay, Neh, just listen for me to do that. Neh, I don't know about that one. Okay, But yeah, podcasts abound with good knowledge for you. There's an app that a number of us are using called the Mission 119 app. I have never, ever seen a better use of technology for pure discipleship than that. It is the best I've ever seen. Matt McCracken is nodding, and Matt's had a lot of discipleship through the years. Pure discipleship, those growing in the Lord. Mission119.org, write it down, download it, try it out. Because discipleship is key in you having knowledge. It's essential. Small groups are great places for discipleship. We do it Sunday evening at church. People looking into the word of God, understanding what he has to say. Wednesday evenings, two small groups. One of them studying 1 Kings, the other one studying 1 Peter. Studying what God has to say into our lives so we can gain genuine knowledge. Thursday evening, this week it was at Dave Clark's house. Let me tell you what was there. Two large pizzas, one pepperoni and bacon, one sausage and bacon. Is that right? I think so. It's close enough. Two large pizzas. On top of that, Michelle Clark made a big cake pan. No, what is that called? A cake dish. 
full of chip dip. My mouth is watering. (laughs) Sorry. And chips were there. I mean, full of chip dip. Two pizzas, the chip dip. And Laurel Shields made one, two, three. It was pie day, 314. Four pies were there. For seven guys, there was all that food. Wow, man. But I will say this to you. That food was excellent, but the best thing at that small group was the encounter we had with God through his word, receiving genuine knowledge for how to live. Yeah, the guys who are there saying amen. It's true. That does not mean we do not want more pie, Laurel. (laughs) Michelle, that does not mean to stop with the dip, okay? Yeah, yeah. Saturday morning at the Dutch Pantry, guys getting around, talking about a book that they're reading, a Christian book, and how to be a better dad, a better husband, a better worker, a better friend, a better human being, a better man, trying to learn that truth to gain that real, genuine knowledge. Sunday mornings at 9.30 at Kermansville Alliance, young women get together back at the nursery and gain knowledge about God. Parents watch a parenting video together up in room 201-2-3-4-5-6, and they, and they get genuine knowledge about biblical parenting. And Perry and Laurel and Jim and Matt, these are teachers who share genuine knowledge. People say to me, do you have Sunday school in your church? Yeah. How many classes do you have? Oh, I have this many classes for adults. I have four for adults. And a lot of churches look at me and say, you have adults in your Sunday school? Yeah. Yeah, because Sunday school isn't just for kids, it's for adults, and that's a place that you can get genuine knowledge because we're teaching the Bible there. All of that is discipleship. And it changes lives by imparting not counterfeit knowledge, not human opinion, but knowledge from God. Now, genuine knowledge, it requires three things. It requires respect from God. It requires rebirth. You have to know God. And it requires commitment to discipleship. This week, um, Becky gave me a letter she got in the mail. Had her address on it. And a return address was not a business or it was a person. You know, like Wilma McMobley and her address there, right? And, And then when you open it up on the inside, there was that return address again. And it said, I happened to see in the obituaries that your mother had passed away. And I wanted to express my sincere condolences. We all know it's difficult to lose a loved one. The Bible talks to us about a thing called eternal life. I'm enclosing here a little Bible study thing that you might want to use. And if you'd like, you can fill it out and send it in and get more information from the Jehovah's Witnesses. Counterfeit knowledge. Baby, they are bridge builders, aren't they? Yeah. Counterfeit knowledge. I think about the Jehovah's Witnesses or other groups like them, but let's talk about them since, we, since Becky got this letter from them they really have a respect for God. I mean, you can't look at a, a Jehovah's Witness and say, you just don't respect your maker. <laughs> that, that's ridiculous. They have a high level of respect for God. And, and they have a real desire for discipleship. I mean, their Bible studies are, are intense, and they do a lot of that. What they're missing, though, is the experience of the rebirth. Because any Jehovah's Witness will tell you that she or he, he or she, I'm thinking she because they don't come to my house anymore, but 20 years ago when they did, it was a she. That's why I said she. Uh, You ask any of them, and he or she will tell you, I don't believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. And I don't believe that Jesus died on the cross to atone for my sins. I I don't believe that. I think that's, that's blasphemy to think that kind of thing. 
So they don't experience the rebirth that comes through trusting Christ and receiving his spirit in their lives. What they have is knowledge, but it's counterfeit knowledge. Consistent, genuine knowledge requires all three of these things. Respect for God, experience of the rebirth, and desire for discipleship. Remember those examples of counterfeit knowledge that I gave earlier. I said, first, it's based on feelings. I just feel like this has to be true. I, I, can't, I don't know if I can handle it if it's the other way. Or it's based on a cursory reading. Well, you know, I didn't pay too much attention in church, but I think I remember cleanliness is next to godliness, right? It's not in the Bible. Knowledge is just opinion. Well, I've always been taught, and I always believed. Bible doesn't say it, but this is what I've always been taught. Listen, if you want real, genuine knowledge, you're going to have to get rid of those things. And you're going to have to give the creator and redeemer, God, his due. And say, I respect what you have to say. First, foremost, and exclusively. And you're going to have to turn your heart from yourself and just say it. Just say, I know I've sinned. And I hate it that I've sinned. I hate telling you that I've sinned, God. But I recognize you're a forgiving God and you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. I want that to count for me. Please forgive me for all that I've done. I trust Jesus. I take this step and I trust Jesus as my Savior and I will follow him with all my heart. You're going to have to be reborn, saved, regenerated, redeemed, whatever you want to call it. And number three, you're going to have to Make a genuine commitment, desire for discipleship. Because without that, you'll be subject to counterfeits. And counterfeits, they're bad currency. (laughs) I think you want a real thing. I want to pray that you can do that. Father in heaven, we are thankful for all the good things you bring into our life. We love you. You are a good, good father. You are one who has all the wisdom, all the knowledge that we could ever hope to have. And we repent of looking for it elsewhere. We repent of thinking our opinions matter compared to what you have to say. We repent of thinking that maybe what we've always been taught, or we repent of of all of those feelings and cursory readings that sway our minds away from genuine knowledge. We will respect you. We will look to you and your word for genuine knowledge. Father, I pray for anyone here who isn't really sure that that they're saved, that they're born again. I would pray that you will open their heart in such a way where they'll say, that's what's been missing. And that even now, in this quietness of this moment, that they would say to you, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I believe you died for my sins and I will follow you. I will be your disciple, your follower. Father, I pray that all of us would have a genuine, committed desire to be discipled. May we not be a generation that has been given the most access to genuine biblical knowledge of any generation and frivolously waste our time on things that would crowd that out. Make us followers of yours. Disciples. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.